and welcome to episode five of season two of AngelCast um, with me, Adam Cunis. Today I will be joined firstly by Andy Burton um, in the match section uh, where we're going to be talking about getting back into Age of Sigma after over a year playing in person. Um, in the narrative section, I'm going to be joined from the other side of the world uh, by original uh, AngelCast host Matt Hinton, uh, who's moved to Taipei. We're going to be talking about um, what sorts of games he's been playing over there and the new communities he's finding um, in Taipei. And in open, Andy and I are going to be chatting about Cursed City um, and our first forays into um, the streets of Ulfen Khan and the dangers that lie within. Um, can't wait to uh, talk to these guys about these brilliant games. We'll see you after this. Welcome back to the match play section. Um, Andy and I played a game of Age of Sigmar in person. There was no TTS oh, who'd involved. A, who'd have thunk it? <laughs> I know. Um, and I have to say, I had such a good time, really. Wow. Yeah. You're playing or playing against me? Because they're very different things. <laughs> oh, man. Like, so the, I've got in my AOS book here, right? The, the last game that I played in person was the 3rd of March 2020 against Alex in your flat, actually. Um, and then before that, I played Tom Cunell down at uh, Rule Zero as a bit of a warm-up on the 22nd of February. And before that, it was, um, yeah, the last narrative event I went, I went to. So it's like, when did we play? The 20th of April? So it's 13 and a half months. Yeah, the last I game I played was the last game of the tournament at Brotherhood. Wow. Where I pretty much tabled an army designed to kill me. <laughs> so Brotherhood was um, game five. So it's the 19th of January, 2020. Today is the 22nd of April. So we're mm. talking 15 months since almost to the day, actually, because we played a couple of days ago. 15 months of no Age of Sigma in person. Um, Shocker. Was that the game that you played against Big War? That is the game I took off two um, uh, Idols of Gork with 15 Hex Wraiths. And, and Kudros, to be fair. Yeah. That's quite entertaining. Uh, um, okay, cool. Um, so we, we were playing with armies that are Destruction, which is new for both of us. Um and um, we thought we'd we'd talk a bit about preparing to play a game after thirteen to fifteen months of not playing the Age of Sigma. So, Andy, what did what did you do to prepare for our game of Age of Sigma? God, so I mean, fifteen months. I, I have to say, now that now that I've played the game and had twenty four hours to reflect on it, I I I was expecting to be worse, right? I mean, there's some muscle spoil- memory, right? Yeah, spoilers. I lost, but that—that's a you know that's a trait I'm familiar with. Um, <laughs> but it's—I don't think I made any critical errors. Like I would have expected after 15 months, I would have done something really dumb and just thrown the game because I did something dumb. I mean, I don't think right. I made. There were a couple of decisions I made that weren't particularly smart. And we discussed them, and this isn't going to be a battle report, so we won't go into them. But 
I, I was I was rusty but not terrible, and I was expecting to be terrible. So thank you for bearing with me. Um, so so what did I do? I mean, we came up with the idea for doing this in match play because you know a lot of people, certainly us included, haven't played. We haven't put models on the table. We haven't rolled dice, actual dice rather than electronic dice in a long for, time. For a, for a long long time, you know, what does it feel like? How do we do it? It's also the first time, by the way, we used Honest Wargamer objective markers and yeah, they were great, weren't they? They're, they're fantastic. What a that is a great piece of design kit. A bit shiny yeah. for photos, but you know, you can't have everything wrong. Um, you can spray so them with I... matte varnish. Yeah, but they'd probably crackle. Yeah. Um, I suppose you could put um, sticky back plastic on them. They're fine. They work, right? To the eye, they work. Yeah. Um, so, what, so what did I do? Um, we came up for this idea as a match play thing because people are trying to get back into it. Like people are, the world's opening, well, the world, the UK is opening back up. Some of the places have never really been closed, but um, hopefully other people are going to be doing the same thing. What do we do? Yeah. I can tell you what I intended to do and what I actually do. What I intended to do was browse through the AOS2 rules because it's always worth a bit of a refresh and the world merges into one and I couldn't remember what was in two and not in one. Yeah, yeah. It didn't do that. Um, <laughs> I, had it, I, had it, I had no list design to do because as we've spoken on previous podcasts, it was a commission army by you for me. Um, so you'd think that would give me an advantage, right? Because obviously I would have read the rules for what I was painting, except I did not. Painting isn't playing. Nope. Um, so, so I had a fixed list, right? I, I designed the list over a year ago. It's a fun list. It was, it was, it was intended to be a drop on the table and, and play with beer, you know, play with the beer in your hand list. It was literally designed for Alex's stag do, right? It was literally specifically designed for Alex's stag do. Stag get, to the, get to the bar as quickly as possible. Yeah, win or die. So, um, so I didn't, I didn't have any list design to do. It was already there. Um, yep. Transpires, it's not, it needed tweaks, but that doesn't really matter. Um, so it was ready to plonk on the table. We kind of put it down. So that was fine. But I read through all the rules again, and I did. I, the main thing I did, which really helped me in the game, and I and I said this to you during the game tonight. Brotherhood was such an eye opener for me in terms of games because I don't play as. I mean, you did what 100 games of AS2? You told me the other day. Oh no, it was 70, 70 something, wasn't it? 75, um, 76 games of yeah, Age of Sigmar two. Yeah. Um, whereas I'm, you know, I'm probably somewhere between 10 and 20. And when we did Brotherhood, people were re in quotes <laughs> relying on me. And um, so I, I like looked at all the scenarios. And I planned out deployment charts for different kinds of game and stuff like that. Yeah. And that that prepped, and I made a crib sheet, right? And those things really stood me in good stead. And then I yeah. was prepared for the game. I wasn't continuously trying to figure out what I'd forgotten to do. Mm -hmm. So I did a crib sheet for myself. I went through all the units and all the the um, the allegiance abilities and the, the battalion I had, and I wrote down all the bits and in which phase it was, and whether it was the start, the middle, or the end of the phase. Yeah. So I had a crib sheet that I could go through and say, right, in the hero phase, these are the things that I need to do. And that, honestly, that sped me up in the whole game. Yeah. Any any particular army in my limited experience typically has two intensive phases, and everything else they have bits to do. So you normally yeah, everyone yeah, yeah. has a. I mean, you think we were Unless joking about? I, I, I want to give um, an honourable mention to Change Host, which will hopefully soon be no more. Yeah, but that was a huge hero phase army, right? So, yeah. um, so it, for me, reasonably complex hero phrase, hero phrase, hero phase, 
mostly combat and one shooting attack. Everything yeah. else goes kind of go and and movement. Everyone has movement, obviously. Minimum unit army, so three big three big brutes. The army is like three big units of brutes, five heroes, one of which is more crusher, and chromatic cogs that I never used and will get canned. Um, yeah. So read up all the units, made a crib sheet, um, went into the GHB, picked a. a um, a new battle plan that we I knew that neither of us had ever played before because neither of us have played a game since twenty since GHB twenty twenty came out. Yeah, at least a physical game. Um, so yeah, I, I think had... I've played maybe five or six games on TTS, but certainly hadn't yeah. played the scenario you picked. So picked a scenario we haven't played, which was kind of fun actually. It was quite a good one. I quite enjoyed. Yeah, it. Yeah, so we um, played um, the Blades Edge, uh, which is a twenty twenty one. Yeah, um, that was kind. Of kind of quite good i quite like it as a as a game actually and then i um, we agreed we were going to do secondaries i looked up secondaries and kind of picked two that would probably be fun and worked in the army um, yeah. and then again slight spoilers although we're not really doing a battle report we then we forgot for, to use them we anyway. forgot to use secondaries because yeah <laughs> and so, i have so. them i have them written down which two i was intending to take which was aggressor and cornered but i couldn't even tell you what they were now so yeah so whatever um so yeah, so kind of read through that and thought about how I might deploy and thought about what, because that Blade's Edge kind of pivots in turn two and it pivots around, are you on, are you on the front foot in the game? Yeah. And therefore, can you command, because it all revolves around giving more power to the person that goes second in the turn. Are you on the front foot? Can you concede the first turn or do you need to play catch up and I played catch up throughout the whole game because you did a turn one double six charge. Yeah. Which um, I thought about afterwards and um It was a good call. I didn't get its points back, but completely are, screwed up my game. It but didn't, it screwed up your game, right? So it was it sacrificing did, it did, a three hundred point unit. It did way more than its points because it completely um destabled my battle list. Yeah. Um so so thought about what you might do. Um, you didn't do it. <laughs> um, and kind of played it out in my head so that I could at least anticipate some of the major decisions that were going to happen as we went through the first couple of turns. Sure, yeah. Um, as I think someone once told me, Napoleon said, I've never verified this, um, the, only reason, the, the, reason you, the only reason you have a plan is to know when you deviate from it. And someone else important, I think in World War II, said, um, no plan survives first, first contact. contact with the enemy um yeah. so all of those things happened um and the net result was i lost which was a predictable outcome as i said at the start um but you know i i felt like i felt like i didn't waste two hours right i think it would be quite easy um to go oh i've played this before it'll be fine i'll put models on the tables and push them around particularly the way i used to play before brotherhood where yeah. i didn't really know what i was doing i didn't have enough practice and i was just like i'm really inexperienced with this i'm just gonna play and see what happens and then you have bad games yeah. i actually felt like throughout the game i may have made some good decisions i may have made some bad decisions but at least they were informed decisions sure yeah you know what i mean I do absolutely. Um, I think I, I often, particularly against armies that I don't know well, um, so it's going to be fun going to tournaments because I haven't read Seraphon, I haven't read New Daughters of Cain. I, you know, um, I um, I feel like I often make ill-informed decisions, and it comes down to luck, right? 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, having having informed decisions is quite an important part of um, Age of Sigma, or keeping abreast of the meta, that kind of thing. And I thought that was quite interesting. So for my from my point of view, the prep um, was relatively minimal because I already had a list. Um, having played a couple of TTS games, and I think it's probably going to change into AOS three, but it'll be the same models. I think my Huskard will become a Stonehorn, a uh, Frostlord on Stonehorn, um, and I'll drop the Battalion so that, you know, I'm just five or six drops with three Frostlords because that sounds fun. Um, but I was running a Yerlbad um, with Frostlord on Stonehorn um, with the Splatter Cleaver, nice touch of the red stuff, and the Mount Trait, uh, Mount Trait uh, Black Clatterhorn, which gives him plus one to hit on his horns um which is great because the horns do a shit ton of damage on the charge um and there's like heels to splash around and stuff um and yeah the the yelbad was t- uh three times two mournfang with the culling clubs because they get more attacks and they do multiple wounds on sixes so it's like a very standard net net list um beast claw raiders build um and i guess my preparation for playing the game was playing two years of um order draconis <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the army is basically Order Draconis without wings, right? Yeah, but it doesn't need take. wings, right? Because it's a fucking bulldozer. El- <laughs> elves, elves are a bit paper thin, so you need to be able to fly away. But um, Frost Laws just kind of go, look, mate, you're going to have to come to the objective at some point. So I'm going to stand near it and then smash you into a million tiny pieces. How does that sound? Um, so it was really interesting to play it on the table because I've been quite frustrated playing um, with TTS. Um, you don't get the sense, or I don't get the sense, and maybe that's just me being a very like physical visual person. Um, is that a kinetic learner? Yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like stuff that's in real life, I find a lot easier to um, engage with. So the pandemic's been fucking great. Um, <laughs> it's a feel as well, right? I mean, there's something. Yeah. I mean, I I haven't played TTS because I just knew I wouldn't want to. Yeah. But... There's something, is the right word, visceral, yeah. um, in physically picking up models that have died and taking them off the board. Yeah, and those like interactions that, because I haven't played any tournaments and stuff on TTS, stuff like just even the, arca- the arcane terrain rules, mysterious terrain rules, right? I haven't played with that in a year, and I couldn't remember what a lot of it did. Um, and I'd, I... I don't think much of it came into. I mean, arcane was useful for you, um, yeah. But like actual physical terrain to move around is very different. Um, you know, we had a fully populated ten pieces of terrain on the board, and like just big pieces as well. Big pieces, yeah. Um, there's a there's a set of terrain that I think I've mostly painted for you. Um, yeah. Did you do I did the Sylvain mounts? You did everything else. Oh, and I yeah. did the. Did I do the wrong gates? No, those two wrong gates you did. Yeah, I think I think and I and I did the um I did the the viewing dome thing on the top of the Skullvane Mance. Oh yeah. because <laughs> uh, we had we had a painting yeah, day for the club yeah, yeah. a few years ago. Um and yeah, Skullvane Mance was was cool. So yeah. So it's got pink trees and it's just a cool board, right? It's your yeah, it's, it's your fine. I I may have painted it, but it's your scheme. Um, yeah, it's my night on board, basically. Yeah. Um so it's just nice and like Oh, man like i spent what 100 hours painting your iron jaws army last year um so to see them on the battlefield was, oh, was really and they look great they, they look fantastic i really like i mean we collaborated on the scheme and then you realized it right um yeah i think it ended I, up being a bit brighter than your te- test model um 
Yeah, but that's because I didn't finish my test model, right? I ah, put base right. coats down and I was like, yeah, that probably works. That, that's the right <laughs> kind of ballpark for him, yeah. So, I mean, my main feeling as we set up was this is going to be a hollow victory if I win because I haven't I'm shit. finished painting my beast claw. No. Um, so actually, to give you an idea, listeners, of how much I enjoyed the game in the 24 hours that Andy's talking about since we played um well 36 hours now probably i have spent nine of those hours painting a stone horn beast rider <laughs> uh so i'm i'm back on the uh the painting the um the more tribes uh list uh as a bit of a, a bit of a change of pace from doing a lot of commission work in the last few weeks um, it's a pleasure being your inspiration but can you hurry up with my curse city please <laughs> um yeah, I think I'm making pretty good pace. Well, it came no, out a week are. ago. We've I got, jest. I jest. I think, 11 models done so far. Um, yeah, you haven't even built the skeleton zombies yet. Come on, come on. How many on. skeletons do you already have built from your death rattle? Mm, actually, 40. I only ever built 40. Cool. So there's, <clears> 10 in, there's 10 in the box, so I think you'll be all right. Yeah. Um, but zombies, I'll concede. Um, so, yeah, the game itself... Um, it's kind of crazy how long it takes in a way to play a game of Age of Sigmar. Um, like there's so many, like, I think for me, the obvious thing for both of us was the slower decision-making between rounds. And part of that was because, as you said, you were chasing the game. So, and you kept winning priority, right? Um, so in, it would have been much better if you did just double turn me and table me in turn three. It wouldn't have been better <laughs> at all. We had a much we had a much more interesting game. Um, so I I had and took turn one. Uh, we're not going to do a full battle report, but Andy had very much expected me to give it away, and I you know I moved up and did a double six charge and killed seven brutes, which put a different flavor on the game entirely because uh, it only had a three hundred point difficult to kill monster to deal with in his deployment zone before he had a turn. So, I mean, experience from other uh, monster-heavy armies, not just um, Draconis, but, you know, my Living City build is quite monster-heavy as well. Go figure. There's a, ty- there's a style of player, like, uh, would have suggested that that was probably not the right thing to do, but I think it's what gave us a game. I think you would have... I think if I'd gone first, you would have probably just cleared me off the table um with relative speed um stuff that's really interesting though things like metal cruncher which everyone always says is a really good mount trait but like yeah i did six mortal wounds to a more crusher when it charged me which helps make things a bit more cagey it's it's super strong right Mm. um so the game was really interesting i felt that the scenario we could talk about the scenario rather than the battle itself Mm. i thought it was really interesting like it's a riff on the burning objectives thing that you might have had with like scorched earth in the past whereby the person who goes second in each battle round so once you've done that priority role and made the decision gets to remove one of six objectives on the table and the objectives were pretty close together right i think they were were they 12 inches apart 18. 18 so you know stuff like units of brutes um and stone horns could quite easily be um effectively threatening two or maybe even three objectives at a time mm-hmm. uh, especially with the the great hand of gork the teleport spell which i was terrified of and completely fucked up my deployment actually because um i could i think you had six drops and i had five um yeah. and i i very much could have kept my um skull shards back until your 
hand of gore guy had gone down and then would have been in range to stop it right um but i wasn't um so yeah it's a really interesting cagey game because you in winning each priority you have to choose to take it or not because i was able to then control which objective was being destroyed um so the ground was kind of disappearing under the feet of your brutes and it's very difficult to take an objective off a stone horn because it's worth 10 models and it's going to kill at least one brute right so there's a there's an interesting point sort of mid game for me where you were trying to get 11 models onto an objective and i was like if i make the charge the 11 models is going to be irrelevant um so there's a lot of like shuffling and um really kind of thinking about well you know i wasn't sure which ones to destroy either like it was quite a, a head scratcher of a scenario which is better than just you move on to it and it dies and you get d3 i thought it was much more interactive from a strategy point of view yeah definitely i mean i I think it's it's a kind of for me it's an evolution of the what they were trying to do with endless spells where they said if you go second you get to choose which endless spell you move yeah obviously that requires endless spells to be on the board but what they've essentially done is they've said we want there to be like the natural tactical choice is to go first yeah Gen- not always but generally right there are the, the reasons why you wouldn't but that that's kind of the default position and then you look for reasons to go second as a bit of a spoiler for the future a reason why you wouldn't might be that you're playing halflings and we'll talk, <laughs> talk a bit more about that in a future episode but yes typically you want to be going first where possible in the battle round so and it this this makes that a a, a, a kind of a, it gives you a jeopardy right it's like oh, there's this thing that means I can control the game better if I concede the turn. And it it, it places some balance on that, makes it more tactical. I think it makes it more interesting in the sense of, I know other there there are players out there that are like, I think this rolling for who goes first in the turn thing is crap. I just think it's really good. And yeah, you can get double turn, but you've got to play for it, right? And it it adds a degree of randomness to the game. But if you don't want randomness in the game, then play chess, right? Or or 40k. Yeah. so, so in that sense, I I I really like that dynamic, and and yeah, I went into the game going, I should have a bias to go second. That's why I I was expecting you to go second at the start because of yep. the margin. Going second in the first turn means if you both roll a dice for the second, then you draw, then you keep the second turn, right? Which is in quotes advantageous. Um, yeah. And I didn't. I I the only game I think I've ever played where I've won more than two priorities and i actually won them all and every single time i chose to go first because i was on the back foot yeah at some point i'm going to go back through my 175 games of age of sigmar and count up how many priority roles i've lost because my my feeling confirmation bias when it's important is i always lose priority but i imagine that's not actually true yeah so we've spoken about it for a bit we did promise each other we wouldn't do a battle report at the start we've kind of delved into that a bit so let, let me take a step back yeah because at the end of the at the end of the um game we then spoke about what we would do next and you came up with a very good point actually which is this isn't just my first game of age of sigma for 15 months it's actually my first game with this army yeah so we can talk about there are, there are two elements there both of which are relevant right and you rightly said you know what should we do next and the reason i commissioned this army in the first place is because i wanted an army that had a very different character to the to the one that I normally play, I've got a load of death, but it's generally nighthorn. Yeah, it's not, it's not a lot like a nighthorn cookie cutter, is it? Which is which is interesting because both armies have a teleport. 
Um, yeah. But the the tel- the tactics of the night hall where I'm all, all hex races was very different. It's very mobile, very resilient. Um, the brutes are less resilient but more smashy. Nighthorn has gotten them more weird. But anyway, um, the brutes are amazing as well. I was more scared yeah, of them in combat pretty, than the pretty, Moorcrusher. They're pretty sick. They're pretty sick. And certainly in units of ten, they're really powerful. Yeah. Um, I suspect when you take them down to five, they're just good rather than great. Yeah. Because, like, would I take a unit of ten or two fives? I think I'd always take a ten. Yeah. It's just my preference. But anyway, um, so what do we do next? And you came up with the point. What you should do is between us, we've got several armies. You should, we should play a series of games where, um, and it suits you as well because you don't want to pay beast claw all the time. We should, we should put the 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 oryx against different types of armies so that I learned to play the yeah. army better because you know my night horn army is spivy and for some reason no one else plays it there's, there's an element of uh, maybe I'm kidding myself but um, <laughs> I, I actually really I, I, I find it a really fun army to play right it's never going to yeah. be a tournament but but that's because I'm standing on that side of the table but um, it's a fun army to play and I feel really facile with it like I really understand how the things interact, where I need to put things, how it moves, when it moves, and I've got a feel of the rhythm of it. I yeah. do not have a feel for the rhythm of this army, right? I mean, um, you're not you're not going to after one game, right? No, I mean, I've I've got a guy with a heel. It, you know, it, it was he, in the right place once. Yeah, I had a I had my teleport. He was out of position, and at the start yeah. of the game, I moved my more crusher, which everyone seems to think you teleport the more crusher, whereas I think you teleport ten brutes, but. Um, he was on the, he was out of position. Like most of my, it's exactly like it was with Nighthorn. Like my first four or five games of Nighthorn, yeah. all my heroes were out of position for the whole game. Yeah. And that's what happened, right? That's, yeah, you, that's you need you need to know your threat ranges. You need to know your auras. You need to know where you can push stuff, um, what things are vulnerable to as well, like what can reach out and get you. Um, you'd obviously remembered to keep your foot heroes near units so that they had lookout sir but i don't have any shooting and the shooting that i have also hits so yeah. like you you could have been a lot more um yeah but i was also the the, the heroes in the iron jaws are all buff heroes right so yeah so they want to i was close. keeping them there to, to 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 make the buffs work and the buffs were there and plus one damage on 10 i on 10 brutes is freaking great yes it um, is so so that worked quite cool yeah. so I for think- con- so for context for listeners because i don't know if we've mentioned it before this this wasn't even like garden hammer as you've seen this was like inside very civilized i'm aware there's a pandemic but i'm i'm living in the spare room at andy's at present which i'm not sure if we've mentioned before so we are a household if anyone's worrying about uh covid security as it's not been mentioned but it means that we've we're very much going to be playing each other for the foreseeable um so yeah so the idea is how do we how do we keep those games fresh and also um you know in terms of getting used to the new army um mine is pretty one-dimensional and i've played it a bit more at least digitally um so yeah getting getting the the iron jaws list ironed out perhaps and, and getting some experience against other sorts of builds i mean we say other sorts of build most of the armies that i own do the same thing right so it might be diminishing returns <laughs> um but like i imagine that they'd play very differently against something like cities of sigma um where you're actually doing you know i i would have to work i think quite hard in terms of holding objectives in some scenarios because of course you're going to muscle me off them and have weight of numbers through killing stuff whereas 
a stone horn is always worth 10 models until it's dead right so you've got a very different uh, set of um goals and objectives within within the game um just with a different army so i think that's what we're going to do right over the next few few weeks and months try and try and play semi-regularly and um mix up lists and um i quite liked just picking a scenario we didn't know so maybe we'll continue working through the ghb 2020 scenarios yeah makes sense um and, and, and I, see I, kind I of how, we, how as well, well so i i have the privilege of a barn in my back garden um that i'm hoping we can entice even even um while we're still in the last elements of lockdown i'm hoping that we can get people outside because it's an outside space yeah um basically a, an outside space with a really big roof um so yeah. hopefully we can get you know people up here and do a couple of games together and have a bit of fun yeah for sure br yeah i mean looking forward to as many games as possible right and as you said going abroad seems unlikely so if the summer is open in inverted commas in the uk then um maybe it's time for the age of sigma to return um in terms of um looking forward to aos 3 as well um i think there's some resilience certainly in in the list that i've got i wonder how much did you feel that the the iron fist battalion was um a really important component of the list and if, if it were to go uh, so the rumor that we've heard is that um, battalions are changing or going from match play to be confirmed um, what what might you do to your list if if that were to be the case yeah so i'm blanking now on um I'm blanking now on what it was about the iron fist that's really good have you got the book with you no, I left it with you. Um, I can look it up quickly. Um, I, I will start with a slightly different point, which is, I think, well, it's one of the interesting things, actually, is allegiance abilities in, in, in the context of Oryx um, war clans. They're not battalions, but they're still abilities. Yeah. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how they deal with that. But COGS is definitely out um, because it's pants. Um, I think nine I, times out of ten, it just benefits your opponent, right? Yeah, it just it wasn't very good. Um, I, 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 the next the next iteration of that list I'm going to run. Um, I'm going to um, I'm going to run it as an Iron Jaws army instead, and see because I ran it as Big War, um, ally in the War Dog. And try those different abilities and take Blood Tooth, which is supposed to be very good because you get a free hand of Gork in it. And I wonder whether if I've got a free hand of Gork, you actually ditch the Shaman as well and replace it with another hero. Put like a foot slogging. Um, like a Magaboss. Yeah. yeah. So that, that could be a fun iteration, like a more a more tanky hero. Because what, what does the Shaman do? He's got a green puke spell, which is pants. Yeah. Um, He's there for it, um, Hand of Gork, right? But if he's you there have for that... Hand of Gork, and yeah, I used Hand of Gork twice in the game. Yeah, but it's going to be in the, it's going to be pivotal in the game once, right? Yeah. Um, and once you've used it once, it becomes very situational because you've probably teleported something out of range of doing it again. Doing it again, so it means you're teleporting a different unit the second time. What does that mean? Yes, it's more versatile. But and if you play a Magic Army, you might never get it off anyway. Yeah, what does it cast on? Like a seven, seven. or something. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean you're you're unlike you're never gonna get that off against Hecklers. 
Yeah. Or so, croak. so in that sense, you could argue, and I wonder if you can, I wonder if you can dispel something that auto casts. I look at the board. I look at the um, description of it. But anyway, so so you know there are iterations of that. I mean, we theory hammered my night haunt list to death and ended up with a really slick list. Yeah. Um, the the combined mentality of three three or four good AOS players and me. Um, <laughs> it's largely so, going all to be fair. <laughs> yeah, and Matt. I think Matt had a say in it. Oh yeah, Hinton was still in the country then. Yeah. Um. So do a bit of that. See how it goes. It's a fun army, right? It, yeah, I would I would like to get as facile with that as I am with the Night Haunt, and then I've got two lists that play two armies forces that play very differently. Yeah, in, I in suppose what of... might be interesting is um, at some point if I captained the um, Iron Jaws slash Big War and ran it at your Night Haunt. Mm. Um, yeah, I would do that because sure. playing so playing playing like against play something is yeah. is quite interesting. Just to just to come back to your question, which I've now looked up to, and lost track of, yeah. the Iron Fist that gives you a Mighty Destroyers. So basically, the way I built ah. the list, I went out. The Mighty Destroyers is an Iron Jaws ability. It's an, an Iron Jaws allegiance thing that you don't get in Big War. So I built the list with the two free Mighty Destroyers you can get from yeah. Iron Jaws abilities. Right, one of them you get from um, a command trait, um, and the other one you get from that battalion. Yeah. So you lose you lose one four inch well you yeah you lose one four inch move on one of your brute units every hero phase. Or so rather, to be, to be fair, it's not just I actually forgot about that. That's really poor. Oh no, I did do it once. I did you did, yeah, and then you were um, in combat a lot. But it's 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 move, fight, or charge, right? Yeah. So I could have fought twice. I only fought twice with it once, and I should have fought twice. Yeah, that's it. true. You'd have killed the beast riders, I think, earlier. Yeah. That's why you practice. Yeah. Yeah, I cool. So, so yeah, so I think in summary, um, I think I'm I'm massively enjoying playing Destruction. Um, it was nice to just have a game where you're moving pieces around. There's not none of the phases until the combat phase was super complicated, but actually because you got big monsters, it wasn't even like loads of dice at all. Mm. Like I think the maximum dice I was ever throwing was saves. Um, how did you how did you feel about the way? Because I can remember when Brutes first came out and people were like, oh, it's really sure I've got to roll loads of different dice for the same unit. How did you feel about the deployment of the weapons and how I was rolling dice for the 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 bot, the mini boss, let's call him that, um, the two-handers and the normal weapons? I mean, it was clear, right? You've got three different types of model in the unit. You rolled three, three lots of dice. Um, they're fucking massive models as well, right? So it's not like... I'm surprised that there's a truckload of dice coming in. Um, you know, you got plus one attack. Everything's hitting on twos against my army because brutes get plus one against uh, stuff with um, four or more wounds, right? Um, and Mornfang have six. So, like, I just assumed that most of the attacks you had would be hitting and probably wounding. So, it was, it was, it was. You were very clear with what things were. I probably wasn't listening all that much when you were saying what was hitting me until the point where you say, okay, so that's three wounds at rend whatever. That's the point at which I'm paying attention because then I have to roll some dice. Like I just I believe the orcs are doing a ton of attacks and which ones they are is only relevant when you tell me the damage ultimately. So I mean like it's it's easy enough to keep track of because I mean you've got you've got what, thirty four models in your army? 35, five heroes and 30 brutes. 
Sure. So, I mean, that's like, that's not difficult to keep track of at all. Um, so, One yeah. thing I will say, I think it would be different if they were units of five. Yeah. Yeah, because then you've you've got it's not like the weight of attacks isn't obviously one thing or the other. Like if you have one champion, one gore hacker guy, and three like two-handed guys, it's not as immediately obvious um, which is which, I guess. Yeah, and if you what it, what I mean by that is if you've got one unit of five, two units yeah. of five, you've got one boss, one two-hander, and three normals. Yeah. Right? When you've got a unit of ten, you've got one boss, two two-handers, and um, Six seven normals, normal seven guys. normal guys. Right. Oh, and right. Yeah. So it goes even further because you don't so get you don't get a boss twice. You're you're tripling. You're sorry. You're doubling all the dice up, right? You so yeah. Splitting those into two isn't just saying I've got two units. I now need to roll two sets of dice. It's like I've got two units and now I need to roll six sets of dice. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot. Um, that's another yeah. reason why I wouldn't run them in fives because logistically it just becomes a lot more painful. Yeah, it, t- it takes a lot longer, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I found it very, very approachable. I think destruction, destruction is nice, right? It's straightforward. The things do what you think they're going to do. Um, and um, we found that both armies were pretty resilient. So actually I felt a lot more than I have done in other games that we were playing the scenario as opposed yeah. to the armies fighting each other. And then if it happened to be close, we might have rushed some objectives or whatever, which I've, I've played plenty of games where the scenario has seemed kind of secondary and the, the objective is kill or be killed in reality. Um, yeah, I mean, I almost tab- tabled you. Yeah. And you very clearly won, right? And we played it out because it was, A, it was fun, and B, it wasn't 100% clear. But with the benefit of hindsight... Yeah, I mean, I was fourteen was a, eleven a... up at the end, and there were two objectives left. So, yeah, it it could have been it could have finished fourteen thirteen if we'd played the final game. So it could have been uh, the final turn, which would have been close by anybody's count, right? Yeah, close in numbers, but I think I got I got up too early, and um, you couldn't shift stone horns quickly enough. Yeah, I mean. It's easy to say this in hindsight, but it was like a stack of dominoes, right? Yeah. So it wasn't obvious that I'd lost, but the momentum was there and it was very, very hard to come back from. So sure. that just that incremental difference. Yeah, um, yeah. Was just it was I think a more experienced player would look at it and go, I'm not gonna get that back. But it was still fun. I don't I don't I, yeah, I'm yeah. glad we didn't call it because I wanted to play it out and I learned more about my army from playing turn four where I, I killed easily a third of your army. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, you, some, you suddenly really like, just smashed me, right? And that <laughs> yeah. was... So I've, I've played against Iron Jaws twice on TTS with George Newbold um, in charge of them. And that twice was both in the same hour because that's how quickly he tabled me with it. <laughs> but, I mean, that again, that was me learning not to be out of position learning how hard um the more crusher hits when it hits um learning how hard pigs hit in iron fist because like the champion pig has like eight wounds right and you're like oh my god how am i going to deal with this um and i think they do impact hits as well and he you know they're running in blood too so like i knew that the war scrolls were powerful and i knew what to avoid so you know my prep was very much just thinking about well with only six mournfang how can i effectively screen um my general long enough to actually be in the game 
because I knew you could teleport and whatever. And actually, the answer to that is just, you know, when it's not TTS and you have actual terrain, there's quite a lot of the table that your opponent can't fit on. Yeah. Um, so I guess I've been playing the wrong maps digitally, but um, it became quite easy to um, set up a bit of a blockade um, and force you to fight on my terms, yeah. um, which was which was key um, and was sort of my plan. Um, so I'm glad it glad it came together because they don't always, right? Um, yeah. So great. I think that probably brings us to the end of talking about um, our return to uh, in person Age of Sigma. Um, I hope that some of our listeners have been able to play as well, whether that's Garden Hammer or with housemates and partners and whatever. Um, we will continue playing games and we'll talk about how the games have gone rather than going into kind of turn-by-turn analysis uh, over the next few episodes, I should think. Um, but we'll be taking a short break and we'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to the narrative section and I'm thrilled uh to be joined by original angel cast host matt hinton hi matt hello how's it going yeah. well it's really nice to be back um joining from all the way across the world um yeah yeah uh so matt you're in taipei right which is the capital of taiwan is that right yep yes yep, yeah. i remembered nailed it not one of these people who confuses us with Thailand. No, because it's spelled differently. There's an H uh, yeah. In, yeah. in English, presumably not in the local text. In local text, they would be entirely different languages. Exactly, yes. <laughs> um, so it's been weird because, you know, there's a pandemic on. I don't know if you guys had noticed. Um, no. Not really? Good. No. Um, but it has... <laughs> It has meant that you've not been able to come back and see us, although we wouldn't have been allowed to leave our houses to see you had you been allowed on a plane. That is true. <laughs> so um, I was really interested um, anyway, but you said you wanted to talk about it too, in what it was like kind of A, moving to the other side of the world, but B, kind of in trying to move, moving in general, right? wherever it might be whether you're moving east or moving far west like owen's gone to uh, montreal um what's it like joining or finding a new community to play with yeah that's really interesting so i kind of have always kind of depended on gaming as my like main source of uh being able to find people i did the same when i moved to the states oh, of uh, that was maybe slightly easier because i um was Here's, part of university there so yeah, you kind in, of in have the, a little bit more structure yeah yeah um but i i definitely like lent on it again when i moved here managed to find a load of stuff through the facebook and meet up and things like that and uh yeah managed to get myself back into that side of things warhammer unfortunately is not so big here there's, there's a load of people that play 40k age of sigmar has a little bit of a right a bright pink car outside so it just completely distracts me <laughs> a what car bright pink oh cool it was very awakening um uh where was i so yeah age of sigma is not it's not very followed there's a couple of thousand point tournaments seems to be the more standard like thousand thousand two hundred sure um 
that are just like people that have 40k armies that also want to do a little bit of painting of some fantasy stuff but yeah i've mostly unfortunately had to stay away from the warhammer side of things but that has meant that i've managed to get a lot of rpgs and uh quite a bit of board gaming in with some groups that i uh joined on meetup i believe yeah okay. i think that was meetup and that's that's an app or something uh, it's a website where you cool. can just um yeah people can post events so there's there's a like rpg intro day at a vegan cafe that i go to every cool. month um and that usually like spawns little groups that we end up running for a little bit so that's where i've got most of my rpg fill from sweet um so obviously you're known well on the podcast for um D &D in particular yeah. uh, as our games master for um both curse of strad and um for uh Waterdeep. um has it been mostly D, D over there i think there are a couple of other um games that you've been looking at too right mm. yeah so actually i kind of decided that i wanted to take a little bit of a step away from D, &D. that wasn't okay. like deliberate it was more kind of um for one shot kind of things if i'm going to if i'm going to like a uh the kind of rpg one shot thing that we do is very much like new player oriented sure dnd is a behemoth to try and explain to players that have not done rpgs before it is it yeah. takes at least 45 minutes of the three and a half hour session to go through. Right. I mean, I've I've played I've played RPGs in inverted commas, but I remember D&D &D being quite, you know, I was glad to be a gamer when I was presented with the rule book, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like you just, and you've then got, if you've got five people at the table, all of which are not familiar with, with RPGs, like standard rules. Yeah. And then you present them with this, like, 200 page rule book and then tell them that there's another like two of them that you need in order to be able to gm it it's it's just too much and so i've been trying to sort of go with systems that are incredibly easy to run i haven't actually tried the age of sigmar rpg yet but i have done a little bit of the warhammer fantasy roleplay the new uh, second edition i don't know it's certainly not second no, it must be four then. That that new one, which is which is pretty good, but again, it's also pretty pretty rules heavy. Um, I had what's, to do that with people who knew what they were doing. What's the AOS one called? Soulstorm or Soulbound? Soulbound, I want to say. Okay, that looks that looks a little bit more on the simple side. But I, what I've been doing a lot of more recently is a system called Gumshoe. Okay. Which you might remember from a game called Time Watch. I never actually played Time Watch, although we talked about it a lot. So I, I finally actually managed to do a Time Watch campaign while I was here. Oh, cool. Because so I mean, we've been talking like... about that for years, right? Yeah. So for people who don't know Time Watch, it's a uh, game where you play a sort of a agent of time travel. So you have the ability to time travel, travel, and you have to kind of fix problems with the timeline. So usually there'll be some kind of baddie who's messed up something and you have to go back through all of the repercussions of that and figure out what changed in the first place and fix it. Ah, that's cool. 
So A, it lends itself really, really well to a one-shot. Yeah. Because you can get the whole thing done and resolve the timeline and finish it all in a nice, neat package. It's quite a nice and B, encapsulated story. Yeah, exactly. There's like a really clear end to it, whereas yeah. D&D is hard to find a really clear end in four hours. Sure. I think it was hard um, for us to find a clear end in the final mission in four hours. It took us like three days. Yeah. Uh, so the, the other th- so Gumshoe is really, really, really simple for people to learn. Essentially, you have a you have a sheet with uh, uh, two different sets of skills. One of them is like investigation skills, and yep. one of them is general skills. So if you want to do something, then yep. you use general skills. I set a number. So something really hard will be like a seven. Something really easy will be a three. Mm-hmm. You can tick off as many uh, of that ability as you want before you roll a d6 and you add how many you ticked off and yep. you get the number, then you pass. Done. Cool. But you obviously only have a limited number of those things that you can tick off. So there's a bit of resource management. Exactly. So it's, it's literally just resource management for that. The other thing is investigation skills, which is like, so D&D has this horrible thing where if for some reason everybody in the party rolls really badly, then you need you need to make that roll to find a clue. Yeah. Then either you don't find it or the GM has to like figure out some way of yeah, get it to you in like another format. Right? It. Yeah, which is tricky as a GM. Whereas this one is like, if you have a skill and that skill is related to finding that clue, then you can just say that you use your point in that skill and it happens. So it's a bit more prescriptive as well. Yeah. The idea is that you're incredibly good at the things that you're incredibly good at. So there's no way that you can fail. Yeah. So you don't need to roll dice. So that takes a lot of the kind of time out of having to find alternative ways of doing stuff, which in turn makes it useful for doing in an evening. Yeah. Cool. And also like streamlines a whole load of stuff. So like uh, you don't have to bother about inventory. There's just a skill called preparedness. Right. So you're like, did I bring explosives? And I will say that's a preparedness four check. So you tick off two of your preparedness, roll a dice, and you need a two on the dice. Cool. If you roll a one, you didn't bring any. And that, yeah, and that will be difficult for you. Yeah. Um, so, like, so it just streamlines so much. Speaking of dice, obviously, uh, we've been talking about Inquisitor quite a lot recently, uh, which is a D100 yeah. percentile dice based system, and D&D is a D20 system primarily, although obviously you've got D8s and all sorts of other yeah. stuff for weapon damage and whatever. Um, what's that runoff? Uh, so it's in, uh, everything that I'm running at the moment is just D6s, and it's usually just like right. one per player. That's great. So it's really accessible because, like, most people who've ever played any games will have a dice, right? And it's easy for you to show up or a gaming cafe to have D6s, right? It's not. Yeah. And it's also yeah. not a barrier to entry in terms of non gamers being like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And people can understand the stats behind it a little bit easier. So, like, if somebody says, like, oh, I've got plus 10 in this skill on a D20 system. I feel yeah. like people understand that it, it's it's less easy to understand than if they've got like a plus three on a d6 because people are used to dealing with that kind of those kind of numbers. They may have played Yahtzee or similar, you know, 
they know about how a d6 rolls, whereas a d20 is suddenly ooh, big scary polyhedral thing. Yeah, I need to I need to know more about statistics than my brain actually knows about, and that's scary. Yeah, which is I mean honestly how I feel about those sorts of games, or or felt yeah. until, I, until I played them enough and you get a sense for it. So that's fair. So I've then been so uh, based on so so we did our whole like time watch campaign. They managed to like uh, after about ten sessions, they uh, found out that the timeline itself was sentient. <gasps> what? Um, that's that's mad. Yeah. So the the timeline itself, the time watch is trying to preserve in my in my like little story, was the thing controlling time watch and was sentient itself that's very cool and eventually they overtook a like mutant cockroach ship and piloted it through an extra dimensional rift into the sentient timeline itself what that sounds bonkers i've been watching futurama all evening whilst um trying to stay awake to record with you uh for viewers reference it is uh almost one in the morning in the uk what time is it in taipei seven eight a.m nearly eight yeah. yeah so yeah i've been watching futurama so that that all sounds very uh up my street actually yeah it, it's super super cool so and then in the in the exact same kind of system which is just kind of shows how how um adaptable this whole system is i've been running yeah. um, cthulhu oh right for a while now, so 1923, um, like trip across Europe on the Orient Express, yeah, with horrific, um, yeah, Cthulhu mythos creatures attacking. The Cthulhu mythos was the closest I ever came to being convinced to do LARPing. Um, some active friends of mine were like mega into role play in the 80s, and they were like, Oh, yeah, there's this like. A couple of years ago, we're like, oh, there's this uh, Cthulhu-themed LARP that's going on. And I was like, that could actually be fun. Maybe we could do that. Um, and obviously then the world ended. But, um, you know, I feel like lo- <laughs> I feel like Lovecraft would have approved of that. Of LARPing. Kind of, reason, yeah. of, of the not being able to LARP due to the world ending. It seems quite yeah, appropriate. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, that's great. So, I, I mean, we had this conversation the other day, so it's a little bit official, but uh, artificial. But I was also super interested, as somebody who's worked teaching English as a foreign language, um, in how it's been as a someone running games in a new community, um, working with and playing with people. Because obviously, you're you and Heather are, are learning. Is it Mandarin? Yeah. Um, which is the predominant language where you are, um, but. Although I'm sure a lot of people speak English, um, it's not necessarily people's, well, it's certainly not a lot of people's first language. Um, so with like varying degrees of knowledge of gaming, you've also got various varying degrees of um, uh, English comprehension. Yeah. And this is another thing where D&D really actually struggles. Sure. Um, the, the, the language is not really ready for, so, so what we would standard. Uh, normally get you're right we we do get people who who have a what i would call a very very good standard of english yeah um but that's totally different to the standard of english that's required to understand a dnd rule book right you don't get the word claymore on duolingo do you no or like in everyday conversations 
ever. Well, she, well, <laughs> exactly. That's, <laughs> that's uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so TV shows or whatever you've used to pick it up, and what we get at the at the RPG one shot is a lot of partners of people or friends of yeah. people like Taiwanese friends that are brought along. They've said like, oh yeah, I've seen you know I've seen this through some kind of pop culture thing, or I've heard about D and D because D and D is massive now. Do you think um, Stranger Things has had an impact on that? Yeah, there's a lot of things that have had an impact over the years. Um, just the kind of... I, I think the pandemic's probably helped as well. Um, right. To just give more exposure to to the kind of platforms that support D&D. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I've 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 done D and D online obviously with you on Roll20, uh, which Alex has talked about, and um, he, he talks about playing D&D online on another platform, which, uh, you know, go and listen to an episode with Alex in. I can't remember what it was called. Um, but it's certainly accessible at the moment, right? Yeah, yeah. And, like, Twitch is becoming way bigger in terms of the D&D streaming platform, Critical Role. Have, yeah. Like, Taken over the world, right? Ever. Yeah. <laughs> like, in terms of not quite beating Fortnite, but they're they're nearly there. Like this which is insane, right? It it is it is insane. Very um, cool, but also like mind blowing. Yeah. I mean their production value is incredible. Right. I've never so, engaged with it actually. Everyone always says I should, which unfortunately for my psychology, everyone saying you should do something is anathema to me doing it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Adam, this TV show is amazing. Uh, uh, I guess I'll I'll never see that then, <laughs> <laughs> which is a real problem. Uh, we digress. Um, but, no, yeah, like, so yeah, it, it's true that like so so D and D is is really really tricky. And even then, like some of the some of the easier stuff like I that, that I've been running recently, you still have to actually. <sighs> like change the way that you describe things if that makes sense like or or change the language that you're using if you know that you have somebody who just has conversational english i say Absolutely. just has conversational english like yeah yeah <laughs> it's for still sure. an incredible yeah. feat um yeah i mean it's, it's certainly like, it's... better than my ability to D D uh, or gm uh, D D in chinese so yeah i mean it's a less impressive skill to everyone who isn't english but to to us English, it's always very impressive when people have bothered learning another language. Yeah, and I get, I get, like, questions from, from English speakers about, like, what language is being used, like, why do I have separate cover and stealth skills? Yeah, yeah, there are a lot of um, almost synonymous, in terms of dictionary definition, words that get Mm. used to mean quite different things, and we come across this all the time in uh, Age of Sigma, right, where the rules team have written something and i'm like yeah that's not what that word means which is why it's being horribly misinterpreted and abused by the community um because language is pretty fluid right um yeah. so you, i i can't i can't think of a good example um but it's often with things like saves um or like tests mm. like the difference between like who fucking knows what sagacity means but that's a stat in um in inquisitor um yeah. and there's all sorts of like psychological stats in uh, particularly cthulhu games and things where you're like is that different from the other thing that i have a stat in i'm not sure that that's different from the other thing that i have a stat in um but does inquisitor still have cool um sort of yeah um okay. so it has it has nerve oh okay 
Um, same, which is the same. But, yeah, which is the same. Cool. Well, there you are. Um, that's that's the exact thing. Um, I think a cool check is a roll on your nerves on your nerves characteristic. Uh, yeah, yeah, that might be right. Because um, there's only ever been one Inquisitor rule set. Um, oh, sure. There was a community. Well, I mean, there's Inquisitor 2.0, which is a community-driven uh, living document, um, and there may well be a 3.0. I've not logged on to the con conclave in about a decade, but yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's a that's a good example, isn't it? Um, nerve versus cool. We didn't know that was the same thing, despite it being the same thing. Um, yeah. So, so, so how is a non-English speaker, non-native English speaker, going to get that? Like, there's no way. Yeah, that's pretty pretty difficult as like a uh, oh you now need to uh, converse mm. on this topic yeah so since we last chatted about this very thing i did um i've recreated my um my cthulhu character sheet in mandarin oh cool just so that when i run one shots with it if it or actually my my uh, cthulhu thing is kind of a drop in drop out kind of thing so i've got like nine players that i've recruited yeah. over different rpg nights yeah and if somebody is interested then there's always a space so yeah well what kind of numbers are you talking at the table four or five normally usually yeah. maybe six sometimes um but i prefer to run it that kind of way um yeah than have have a group of people that you know you lose one and suddenly it can't run um so if you have like i think i've got eight or nine in the in the line chat at the moment yeah. Also, also, I guess if it's pick up more pickup game esque, then having a kind of manageable number of people that you don't necessarily know personally is probably. I mean, also, you know, there are, there are difficulties managing people that you do know personally, of course. But yeah. <laughs> um, there's there's other difficulties with strangers, right? When you're running anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, people that you've like met at an RPG one shot night and you say like oh come come next week to my to my Cthulhu game you, you know, it's fair enough if they then have something something on yeah yeah for sure so yeah so, I tried to make sure that I put that into that kind of language and then that I'm GMing in a way that is more accessible to other people and not and just like checking myself right right yeah does this make sense yeah which is good so science fiction uh cosmic horror um that's a bit of a departure um both tonally and kind of setting wise as well um it's fun telling different stories right I've, as you know we've mentioned inquisitor that's my touchstone um it, it's really nice moving to to different settings sometimes um yeah what would you say you're particularly enjoying about um those those two settings and if there are any others that you've um, been doing as well then feel free to mention them yeah that's true so i mean time watch is time watch is a really weird one because you're essentially trying to like go back through um usually through usually through history but mm -hmm. with a view to um like our history yeah um, as in pre-2020 with a view to being a incredibly powerful person from the future yeah. and how they would interact with solving that scene. So the, I would say Time Watch, despite the fact that it is, is certainly a sci-fi, you're right, it's probably closer to kind of Futurama because while you can, there is no reason why you can't just travel to the year 50 million yeah. and see what's happening. 
it, it's not really where the story ever takes you. Of course. I mean, you might want so, to go back and punch Boris Johnson in the face before uh, 2020, if that was an option. But it, Yeah, that kind of thing comes up a lot. Um, yeah. They actually had to time lock uh, all of Hitler's life because too many Time Watch agents were going back and trying to kill him. And it oh, messes up the timeline completely if you kill him. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so yeah, that is that is sci-fi. But again, so both of these systems, certainly like the 1923 uh, Cthulhu game as well, have sort of taken me well out of my comfort zone. Yeah. Um, which is a nice thing. There's a lot of Wikipedia while you do it. And certainly like Time Watch and and yeah both of them to an extent it needs to be such a simple system for the gm to run because then then you can flesh out the world as you're going as opposed to having to faff to look up rules or right because you try and find a spell that is going to happen in the next fight or something yeah because there's just they can go anywhere right i guess so you need to look up what that time is or yeah exactly yeah so or they you know they ask a question about something so like yeah. a lot of a lot of the stuff in the Cthulhu one at the moment is they're tracking down an artifact that had something to do with the Napoleonic Wars right so I have to have the Napoleonic Wars up on Wikipedia yeah um, a lot of the time because Matt doesn't know it but. yeah sure it's not my specialist subject either um in any way actually uh, it's one of the periods so, of history I know least about I would say it's a really like it's a really interesting thing in terms of how much you can actually get done as a GM and how much you can flesh out a world that you have no clue about mm. when you have a rules like light system in front of you. Yeah. That the players all get. Like, that makes such a big difference. Yeah. That's really cool. So yeah, neither of these are my wheelhouse. Like I barely read any sci-fi. I have read a couple of the Lovecraft, um, yeah, like short stories. Yeah, that, it's, that's it's not as, my kind of. That's as far as I've got with it as well. To be honest, I had the kind of collected short stories, and I've read about half of it. Yeah, the one narrated by Stephen Fry. Uh, I mean, I I, I read mine. I, I really don't get yeah. on a a with audiobooks and b with Stephen Fry. <laughs> Fair enough. Although his sleep story is very good on, um, what is it, Calm? I can't remember what the app's called, but there's like oh, yeah, yeah, Calm. Yeah, um, and he he does he does the free story on that, and to be fair, it's pretty good. He's a, he's a good voice actor. Um, so the other thing I know you're a big fan of, and it's one of the reasons that we kept our three um, uh, three kind of. St- streams for the structure of uh, the format of our podcast um usually it's in open play but i'm going to be talking to uh, andy about cursed city during that um board, board games i know you you and heather are uh, often board gamers um what have you been playing over there so yeah we've we've kind of so as you know all of my board game collection went into storage before I moved out here. They're yeah. not a sensible thing to ship across the world in terms of cost. I think nope. it costs more per board game to ship actual original value. Yeah, which is, you know, spoiler alert, why board games aren't shipping around at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, they are crazy, especially the heavy ones that I used to have. 
Uh, so all of those are in my parents' house. So I don't actually, I still don't think I, oh no, I do own one board game, um, which what? is the like little game from uh, from Name of the Wind. Oh, I don't know that. Yeah, so they, in Name of the Wind, they play a game called Tack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm actually reading it at the moment. Yeah, and it's so they read Patrick Rothfuss and a well-known board game maker whose name I can't remember now uh, actually created the game, and yeah. it's super good. It's a little like two-player game where you have to build roads across a across a uh, across a grid. Um, completely abstract, but it's it's really like deep and super easy to pick up. It's a lovely game. That's the only one that I own. But me and Heather yeah. will play that every now and again. Um, and then if you count Jenga, because I still do my Jenga thing uh, whenever yeah, I'm playing yeah, yeah. So <laughs> Jenga, we don't actually play. It's just horrific things happen in the RPG if you knock the tower over. Yeah. It's funny you should mention Name of the Wind. Um, I was just had Spotify on Shuffle yesterday, and it came up with a, a Nightwish song, uh, which is called the Edma Rue, um, which yeah. is obviously based after um, his folks yeah. those... Um, family troupe of actors and i must have heard the song before because i've listened to nightwish quite a lot uh, and had no idea what they were singing about and assumed it was in a foreign language um and then was just it just my ears pricked up having been reading the name of the wind and i was like oh shit oh that's a that's a reference so that's quite a weird yeah. weird week of things um serendipity there you go that's i can't the... wait for that set of book to finish he should he should totally just wait he should do it correctly i mean he's clearly don't, going don't to just it. wait right it's yeah, been what yeah, 10 right. years since the last one yeah but he's doing it right and i'd rather i'd rather it was really really good than it came out tomorrow and i was a bit disappointed in it yeah of course like, he is he is one of i think he's the best writer of certainly this generation yeah yeah i'm thoroughly enjoying it jay jay uh hopkinson sent me it last year i was having a chat with him and um i was I, i'm really struggling to read at the moment because i can't can't turn my brain off everything else that's going on um mm. so he was like this is a great book you should read it and to be honest it's still taken me the best part of a year and i've got another couple of hundred pages left so i mean i've, I've read a read a couple of other things in the meantime but it's it's brilliant it got me got me back into reading which is nice um yeah. so have you so been playing at a cafe games. as well yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i should probably shout out um spencer's uh so my mate spence runs a vegan cafe here in taipei um for cool. anyone in taipei um like <laughs> your listeners um it's called uchacha um which is kind of uh near near the big university shida here in um here in Taipei. Um, they have a really nice bar downstairs and the big board game collection, and that's where we do the RPG nights and board game nights. Awesome. So yeah, that's that's been really, really nice in terms of the community. Um I went to I'll talk about his RPG at some point as well. He's, he's yeah, yeah. He owns the bar and he's been writing an RPG that's again a D6 based like dark fantasy kind of thing, which is nice. really good. Um uh, but yeah, so so RPG uh, board game days. We've been playing a lot of uh, Dune or Game of Thrones. Yeah. So those of you that know the Dune universe, which is totally worth reading the the book if you haven't, 
and never reading any more of the books after that. Yeah, it's um, it's one I picked up last year and didn't get on with because unfortunately I've read everything that was based on it, so I had quite a, a hard um, time. I had a hard time reading it as original, even though I know that it is. Yeah. So that, that, the reason that we play a lot of Dune and Game of Thrones is that we really like uh, like area control board games. Yeah. This is like fighting for territories. Um, and they both have a very similar win, win mechanic. They, as soon as you control a number of important spaces on the board, yeah. the game ends and you win. Yeah. Game of Thrones, it's seven castles, Dune, it's three strongholds. Yeah. So they yeah, kind I've... of have a, it can end very quickly. It can take a while. But it's quite nice to have that. Yeah, my my only experience of playing the board, the Game of Thrones one, uh, is with Alex and Sarah at their old old property in um, in Stratford, and uh, that that was a game that took a long time playing with non gamers. Yes, yeah. So both of these, you need you need gamers um, because there's a lot of stuff going on in all of them. So the other thing I really like about both of them is there is there's this. Is there any randomness? No, there is no randomness in either of them. Right. You never roll the dice, you never do anything. All combat is decided like based on what is on the board. Yeah. All like hidden, hidden uh commitments, so I guess. So it's all all strategy and yeah. Yeah. So when you win, you feel like you've you've won. You've, you've won really, really well. It's not just like are you suddenly because some board games when you don't roll too many dice. It can just go your way, yeah. especially in area control stuff. Yeah. So I really love playing Dune. Like I, I slightly prefer Game of Thrones just because of the theme, but yeah. Dune is a fantastically designed game. It's all kind of really good at capturing the universe. It's very like so. The main mechanic about it is that you can win by controlling three of the five strongholds, or if you're in an alliance, which is just two people you control four of the five strongholds and you win. Ah, okay. So you can make and break alliances all the time as your power goes back and forth. So if yeah. you're controlling like three of three strongholds in an alliance, it's worth you just breaking and going for the win by yourself. Yeah, sure. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, it's, a, it's a lovely design game. Like, I've seen the box for it. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure I can picture the box art. It's really old. Yeah. I mean, it's not. A, it's not a recent book, is it? Despite its uh, new forthcoming film, or is that out yeah. now? The HBO Max. I don't one? think so. I'm looking forward to that. Like, yeah. It looks like they've done a good job. Um, even though no one can replace Patrick Stewart. Well, indeed. <laughs> He was so he was so incredible in that game in that film. I've not seen him. Yeah, watch his performance. It's just and David, it's got David Bowie in as well. Oh, amazing! Yeah, Patrick Stewart, David Bowie have a scene together. That sounds like the best thing that's ever happened. Immediately, yeah, it's super good. Why do they make bother making other films? Discuss. <laughs> yeah, it's probably true. Yeah. Kind of help when it actually came out, but yeah, we do. We've been playing a lot of that kind of that kind of side of things. Um, oh, do you know Root? Board, the game Root. Say again. It's just called Root. Oh, okay. It's like 
uh, again, area control, but you're playing as little woodland creatures. Right. It's the, it's the most like asymmetrical board game yeah. in the world, as far as I know. Like Everyone has completely different rules to each other. Okay, so a bit like uh, Flux or something. Oh, that's more where you change the rules as you go, I guess. You change the rules, yeah. These are like, yeah. like your way. So there's like one faction is like a, a, a on the main core, like one faction is like an engine building mechanic. Yeah. Where you're trying to like build up buildings and get like your kind of typical RTS kind of thing going. Yeah. One guy is like trying to turn to flip other places round and trying to get influence in certain places. One is basically playing a solitaire game and trading with the players actually playing sure. the game. And one guy is uh, playing a sort of area control attacking game in the, yeah. in the base game. So they, they all just have completely separate rules, separate ways of getting victory points, separate things. So it's, kind of, it's really nice. Reminds me of Ankh Morpork. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a little bit. I loved Angle. That was so good. I've been trying to get a copy of that for years, having played that with you. So I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, but obviously, it's out of print everywhere. I don't think I sold mine. So I could get my parents to send it to you if you want. Yeah, that could be cool. Nice. But... I mean, that was that was such a good game because it, it was so quick and thematic and cool. Yeah. Um, I think I think we'll be playing uh, Curse City for the foreseeable future with the people I'm legally allowed to see. But a after that, then yeah, I could be yeah. well interested in that. Um, Curse City looks like fun. I have I have ordered myself one, um, so hopefully I will buy myself a set of paints at some point and be able to do that. It's I mean in terms of because um, I was going to say about that because obviously I know you've not been uh, painting while you're out there really. Hmm. Um, it's uh, I mean, I <laughs> I will be talking about this later. I've actually recorded the open section with Andy about Curse City already because we're recording, uh, well, actually the podcast's due out in eight hours, so we will have to stop at some point so I can edit it. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, the, the, to, to kind of paraphrase what I'm going to say later on, um, the models are stunning, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's why I went for it. I it's, it's kind of just just a little light side project for a while. I probably won't play a huge amount of games of it. I just just wanted to have something that I could yeah I could do some hobby. Yeah, 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 for sure. Because um, I have I have missed a bit of doing painting and doing that side of things, but I super haven't missed like having to paint an entire army. That's what I'm for, right? <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. Or my typical like painting an entire army just to get just to go to a tournament. Yeah, that's kind of to an extent that was the fun of the old world, um, but yeah. at the same time, it, it is fucking stressful, and I find that I really really don't play as well if I've been painting my army or somebody's uh, somebody else's army until two in the morning the day of the tournament. I mean, two in the morning would be good, right? Let's be honest. Remember, yeah. Sometimes it was like six just before the tournament started, or George like painting it, on, like in the hall. Yeah, I mean, there was quite a lot of endless spells being painted in the hall at that Six Nations we went to in Sterling. Oh god, yeah. Um, that, was, and I, that was such a funny tournament. That was good, right? Um, 
speak, speaking of which, um, I'm going to be mentioning this later on, but um, Matt is hopefully going to be coming on to the, the next episode uh, to talk with Darren Watson, also of Team Wales that year, uh, about a, a little project that we'll, we'll tell you a bit more about later on. But it's been quite fun um, exploring Age of Sigma from that, that perspective the last couple of weeks, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's been yeah. really good. It's been really nice to like catch up a bit on the narrative and figure out about where the points level is at the moment. And my word, it's a lot. Um, yeah, I guess lower than what I was at. Yeah. You look at some of the comparisons these days. It's like, oh, that's that's one hundred and fifty points these days. Is it? Wow. Yeah. And I think that's not going to last forever, right? I think as we go into iOS three. Um, the, the entire thing is going to change in terms of relative points and you know board sizes and, and whatever i think it's going to be a very different paradigm in a few months time yeah. that'll be a big shift up yeah um was there anything else burningly that you wanted to talk about in terms of uh board gaming and and, and gaming across the other side of the world in general uh i don't think so i think yeah we can we can get back to the email chat at some point um, yeah. Darren, uh, but I think I've kind of covered how to how to keep the hobby's just massively important, certainly, certainly for you guys and uh, lockdown. But it, you know, it's it's been an absolute like not savior for me, but very, very important part of my social uh yeah. you know, keeping myself able to do this kind of thing, um, to be able to engage with my hobbies and find friends through that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've really nice I found it important. You know, I met met George moving to uni to play Inquisitor, basically, um, and like met all of you guys moving to London. It's um, it's not exactly a community in a box, but it leads you into the right cafes and bars, and you meet the right people where you are. I yeah. guess. Um, yeah, there's always always something in common, which uh, particularly these days is pretty important. I would say um yeah so yeah it's lovely to chat to you um i'm sure the listeners would want to hear more from you but we did play ada sigma on tabletop simulator this afternoon or yesterday afternoon for you yeah. <laughs> and i i need to go to bed so um yeah. uh really good talking to you man and um yeah we'll get you on for the next episode uh, for something i'm going to spoil in about half an hour's time on this episode <laughs> cheers I'm speak to you soon cheers matt and for those of you listening at home we will see you after the break for the open section welcome back um today in open we're going to be talking about the hotly anticipated and sadly short-lived release uh of the cursed city warhammer quest cursed city um Big thanks to um, Rule Zero, um, who have reopened in the last week. So if you're in East London, go and have a beer outside. It's delightful, and they need your custom after a year of being closed. Please support your local dudes. Uh, Tim and Gav will sort you out with beer for sure. And gin, whatever you want. Um, so Rule Zero managed to get um, some copies of the Curse City box in. I think the allocation was up to 15, but they very nobly only got the five that had actually been pre-ordered through them. So there's somebody got an extra 10, which is nice. Um, so I, I went and did a sort of clandestine park uh, meetup and uh, ended up picking up the boxes for most of Angel Wargame. And so at one point I had three copies of Curse City City on the desk at a time where, uh, you know, there's a global shortage. Um, 
so yeah, we have played our first, um, what are they called? Mission game scenario? Uh, that's a good, uh, the, the, the scenario we played is called a hunt. Yeah. I think, I think they're called missions. Journeys? Yeah. Journeys. That is the right word. Well yeah. done. I'm very, very smart. Also, I've got the rule book on the table in front of me, so I just read uh. it. Okay. One of those two statements was a lie. Yes. <laughs> and I can see the rule book, so fuck you. <laughs> um, um, go, on, go on. Yeah, so I mean, we had both played, I, I think you possibly played more of it than I had, but we'd both played Silver Tower in the past. Um, and this is very much a inheritor of that style of board game. Um, it's not, it's slightly divorced from Warhammer Quest and Hero Quest of yore. Um, yeah, I'd, what, what were you expecting? And so obviously the setting is quite old world compared to something like Silver Tower, which is very magic and teleporty. And now I'm here, now I'm there. Um, kind yeah, of I mean, it's, it's, you make a good point, actually, because and, and I, I'm probably misusing the terms here, but Silver Tower felt kind of very high fantasy, almost yeah. ethereal, like it, it was a what I would think of as a dungeon crawler because you you only ever have four rooms on the board and you have a yeah. set you have a deck of cards that somewhat randomizes them. Yeah, but it, Silver Tower was a game that was kind of built to it was basically eight games that you run multiple times. Yeah, and they 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 have the same end room and they have the same series of rooms in the middle that might be in a slightly random order. Yeah, but once you understand each of those eight scenarios, it's about running them through it and getting to an end. Yeah. Um, and you, whereas in so so what was my initial impression of this? It's in a city, so it's it's a bit more feels a bit more static. There's an exception to that that we'll get to. Um, feels a bit more static when you set it up. But then, whereas in Silver Tower, where you play through it and it feel, felt like it was a more continuous game, so you go into room and there's a few people there and you fight them and kill them yeah. and then maybe someone okay. else turns up and then you go into the next room and you fight them and you kill them um there was there was a much once we got into it there was this feeling of getting mobbed particularly yeah. right at the start of the game actually when when all the when all the bad guys there's a bunch of bad guys on the board at the same time i suspect that might have also been maintained a bit longer if we'd understood a couple of the mecha mechanics better on first pass yeah um, so i mean how did we go about playing the game? I, I read the rules because I had a, I had a set of rules that I could read through and you and I knew you were busy. So I, I read through it and there's only so much rule reading that anyone can do. And I read through it and I was like, I'm missing something. Like there's something weird here. There's like I'm there's like four groups of guys on the board, but I have to kill ten. Where are the other six? Where do they come from? I don't get it. And it's how basically do you spawn I, more. Yeah, how do you get more mobs? Um and it would did the, the I missed two paragraphs in the rules that tell you exactly how to do it. So once we kind of got into the game and I'm like, I don't get it. I still don't get it. I must yeah. have missed. Oh, there it is. <laughs> yeah. So, so I kind of walked into it a little, little bit confused until that kind of the penny dropped on that. And then it was, it was good. It, it, there was a flow to it. You always felt under threat. You were always moving around. It felt like you could make strategic decisions about whether you split the party and wait, why you go yeah. there and how. Which paid um, off for the most part. 
but bear in mind yeah. we were at the easiest difficulty setting with the starting scenario and we were like oh yeah no it's fine it may not be fine going forwards <laughs> yeah there were definitely a few sketchy moments but most yeah. of it, it felt like we were in control which i think at level zero you're supposed to be right it's supposed to be the point in the game where you're learning how to play it and stuff yeah um so let let's talk maybe about the features of the game and and, what, and how the campaign works because okay it's a board game but it's not a board it's a board game that's designed to be played multiple times and it and it evolves through the campaign yeah it, its main evolution is through um through getting experience levels but it's it's kind of it's a bit more organic than that i think they've been reasonably clever obviously we've only played one game so this is all me extrapolating out of what I've read in the book as opposed to actually experiencing it. But you get this quest tracker thing, which is a little board that's got two characteristics on it, fear and influence. And as you play the game, the fear and influence go up and down. And there are kind of, if I if I misuse um, terms from World of Warcraft, um, there are builders and spenders, right? So there are things, there are mission, there are journeys that you can do that build yeah. one of those things or others that spend it so you know influence as you do mission as you do journeys trying to use the right, right words not that it really matters as you do journeys the influence kind of feels like the influence naturally goes up yeah. but then you can do a different kind of journey where you can push that influence back down again so there's this kind of subjective flow of it where you'll go and do a couple of journeys of one type and then you'll go and do another one because one of your kind of one of your um fear and influence goes gets too high and you need to push it down so you go and do something else yeah and as you're doing that you level and as you level things get harder and then you get you there's like six special missions we'll get to the number of games you play in a minute but it gets harder and then you step aside and do special missions so there's kind of three normal journeys and then one set of special journeys and between that you've got everything that's in the box so yeah to say the other element of it that I think is quite nice is you have, let's call them nodes on the board mm -hmm. where, where mobs spawn. And every time you kill that set of mobs, a new set spawns on that point. So you get a continuous wave of stuff coming at you. And, and what you get next is from a deck. And that deck has the experience levels of the characters on it. So as your characters go up in level, those spawn points get harder and harder and harder. And that's yeah, very so for example, kind of you might zombicide start off, mechanic. Yeah, for example, you might start off with two zombies, but at level one, you might get three zombies and some giant rats, corpse rats as they're in the game. So yeah. it's, it, it gets slowly more difficult, um, which makes so sense. I kind of like that. And then the other thing, the other characteristic that we picked up on that I think is quite nice is you always run with four heroes. So it doesn't matter yeah. whether you're playing solo, whether you're playing with four people. If you play, you can even play with five and have a GM actually, rather than yeah. because the, the villains are intended to be done off a behavior table. Yeah. But I don't I don't see there's any reason why if you had five people, the fifth person couldn't control the mobs. It'd be more interesting. Yeah. Um but you always play with four heroes. There's eight heroes in the game at the moment, I'm sure. Like, well, there's technically nine, right? Because there's the um, there's already the battle mage in the White Dwarf. Oh, I haven't played the White Dwarf. Fair enough, yeah. So nine. Um, and there's a catch-up mechanic. So if you go out, you don't have once you pick four heroes, you don't have to run those four heroes all the time. Um, yeah. Because because they advance faster than everything else. If you do a mission, then you get an experience pit, but you need three for a, Three, three to go to the next level 
but if you've got a character in the party a hero in the party who is a higher level then when everyone else gets experience they get two pips not one so it kind of balances out and yeah. so it's quite cool in that sense you can mix the party up a little bit and and then the other the other the other reason that's there if you like is because if you finish the game out of action and you then roll the quest dice and roll a one or a one or a two if you lost the scenario you die uh, right you perma die yeah and if you know it feels like a one in six where you if you lost the scenario it's probably because at least someone's dead or yeah. out of action in quotes one in six chance of dying when you're playing a lot of games is not inconceivable yeah you could um, well make it not make it through the whole campaign with your starting i, I would band. i would argue it's reasonably easy and there's no there's no resurrection di dynamic i mean yeah you can just say well you <laughs> but there's no resurrection dynamic it says if you if you true death yeah through that dice roll you're out of this you're out of the campaign rip Honestly, up the war right? scroll yeah put well, the model in the bin <clears throat> reset the quest tell everyone else you have to restart and yeah. so then that's a good segue into talking about what how what's the longevity of the box as it stands and yeah maybe that in turn is a segue into you know how, where does the box go but um so you have um you you can level your characters to level five yeah um you start at zero and so that's five advancements um each level you need to do three missions to do it unless you've got catch up but if you're doing catch up it's because someone else is already at a high level yeah so the box means that you're doing so to that. get max level you need to do 15 missions um there are then as you go up through those levels when you get to level one you're not allowed to go to level two until you complete what they call these decapitation scenarios where you go and you kill, you perma kill. Kill, kill one of the, the foes, big guys, right? Yeah. Right, the big guys. Um, and there's six of them. So if you have a perfect execution, which you won't have, but let's just say you did, um, and you did three missions, then a decap, another three missions, then I think it's two decaps, another three missions, then another two decaps. Um, then you would have a total of between 18 and 21 missions, depending on whether you tried to do and succeeded the last decapitation mission at level four rather than level five. So there's 20 games in the box. Which is pretty good, right? It's pretty good. I and mean, I actually minus. think that there is some replay value as well, right? Because it's randomly generated dudes. Okay, so the main narrative of like going going out there to hunt and kill... Um, uh, God, what's his name? Radikar, Rad Radikar, who is mega rad. Um, you know, like that's replayable with different characters. Um, yeah. You could do the decapitation quests in different order so that in your later games, um, you've got different adversaries who can still show up. Um, so that would very much affect it. And I think different, different big bosses affect the activity and the spawning of other things. Is that right? It is, yeah. I mean, we got a little bit lucky in a sense because the guys that spawn stuff started off close to us in the game we played. Yeah, so we so were we able to kill them. Any, we didn't get any secondary spawns, really. Yeah, um, and we could just kind of deal with them before their minions caught up, and then it was just yeah. a minion fight, really. So, yeah, it I mean, could, that, have been, could have been very different. Yeah, if they'd been at the far side of the board and we had to fight through a load of skeletons to get there, it, it could have been a lot more difficult, actually, thinking about it. Yeah. Um, and what did it, I mean we were checking the rules and blah 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 it took us about two hours right uh, it was more like two and a half 
but yeah. yeah. So I, I think you, once you know what you're doing, I think you can easily knock half an hour off that. Yeah. So it's probably a sub two hour run through. It's pretty good. Yeah, I think so. Um, um, and then, and then the next thing is, you know, is it worth investing in that? What's coming next? We've already had one hero in White Dwarf. I'm sure White Dwarf will also produce some bespoke things and, you know, fingers crossed, they even treat it like Blackstone Fortress and, and you have expansions, which they had said will happen. Yeah. And at so some it's just... level, they'd be surprised if they didn't because they've said they would, which means they must have already been designed because they're designed. Well, the question like is just going to be whether years, right? whether it's a Brexit slash pandemic supply issue that's meant that it's not going, it's not currently planned to be part of the main um, main range of products, or whether they've, uh, as you were suggesting the other day, uh, actually been hit with IP stuff. Yeah, uh, that's my conspiracy theory because it was just, it was such a hard stop, right? It was like, yeah, yeah this is going to be great. It's evergreen. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And then, like, you've it's, got it now. It's over. Yeah, and I was no, like, no conversation. Whoa. It's not happening. <laughs> you can't get it. It's sold out. Um, and the the comms has been weird around it. I don't, I don't want, I don't want to go on too much about it. I'm, I'm very happy that we've got copies and it's been enjoyable to play. But I know there are a lot of disappointed people out there the communication has been shocking from games workshop around it yeah. um in the it's been self-contradictory as well um you know the warhammer community team saying oh it's all right it'll be back in stock one minute and then saying you know don't worry it's a core game it will be back to then saying that was it you're done yeah um, you know, if, if we think back to Indomitus last year, yeah, where they did an issue, absolutely right? fantastic move of like, Made okay, here order. it all is. Oh, oh, it ran out, and all of these people have been scalping. We'll just yeah. reprint it, right? Yeah. So you wonder and what's I, going I don't on really behind play the scenes. 40K, but but I bought that box. I bought the Indomitus box out of pure principle. Yeah. <laughs> right. Just to force the price down. Um. Yeah. And to be fair, I have painted a couple of Necrons, which we've talked about in a previous episode, which is kind of fun. Yeah. But it is, I, I'm interested to see what, what happens with it. I guess we'll never know, I doubt. Um, if if we don't get an expansion, I think it's something like IP. I think someone's, yeah. you know, knocked them and they've, they've had to step away from it and said, well, this bit's out now. That We can't take that back, but we won't do any more. So yeah. we'll see. Which would be a, we will which see. Would be a huge shame. It would be a huge shame um, um, because I think it's a good system and I think it's a good game and it had all the promise of um, being supported in the same way that Blackstone Fortress was and you know I've I've seen something on Twitter and I know one of one of the guys in our um, um, our Rule Zero chat um, is designing 3D terrain for it which is yeah. super cool. Yeah, and I mean that's you know if it is really popular and isn't supported, that that's how a game like that can live on, right? Like people still play. I know Faye still plays the original Warhammer Quest and Hero Quest, like thirty years later. Um, you know, and there there's lots of online mods and stuff and things like that. Um, in terms of strategizing to start playing the game as well, and as as we're in open, um, I have to say I've the the thing for me that would be disappointing if it disappears is they are surely the new gold standard for games workshop models they are beautiful like i so i've painted what have i painted so far i've painted um brutog uh the ogre which you know was so fun to paint because it's similar textures to what i've had on my beast claw raiders but obviously with a slightly more uh should we say refined and civilized uh set of gear 
Uh, he's a Cities of Sigmar Ogre, um, which I think is a cool precedent to set as well. Um, I know it's been mentioned before, and uh, but there, there are now uh, Ogre keyword war scrolls in Age of Sigmar for each of the four Grand Alliances, um, which is just What's super a Grand cool. Alliance again? The four factions in Age of Sigmar <laughs> until probably July this year. Um, I also painted the Witch Hunter, Jelson Darrick, uh, Dagnai Holden Stock, who I really didn't like as a model, like looking at the picture, I was like, yeah, whatever, it's a character on Overlord. But after you played with it and he was really cool in the game and then actually putting a bit of a darker um, paint scheme on him, I love it. I think it's a really nice model. Um, I've not painted a KO before, so that might have been part of it as well. Yeah, we um, didn't we didn't touch on it actually when we were talking about mechanics, but there's eight heroes, and it's worth saying that of those eight heroes, there's four archetypes. Yeah. So there's there's two tanks, two casters, two DPSs, and two let's call them utility pieces. Yeah. Like, like tacticians, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so we went with a with a tank, and well, you have to go with four characters. So the obvious thing to do is to take one of each type. Yeah. You don't have to, of course. Um, but I played I played the uh, Dagnai um, yeah. as a tank, as the tank in the group, and he was super fun to play with. Super fun. Yeah. Um, really, of, of the of the characters that I saw being played on the board, it's the one I kind of interfaced with most. Mm -hmm. um, it was fun. Yeah, he was super cool. Um, and like the the grappling hook was was a good mechanic as well. Like you can shoot from doorways and then dragging stuff to you, or yeah. I can see, I can like imagine. I can imagine there being like later on in the game in the campaign you have like a big scary vampire like maybe Radikar or the um the Vargskaya coming towards you and you go hmm and drag a skeleton in the way so that you can't be fought yeah. on their activation like you stand in a doorway and drag it like yeah, you're already fighting one skeleton you drag a skeleton in they can't get to you um one of the criticisms I've heard is there aren't many there's no real kind of ranged uh ranged enemies which obviously in blackstone fortress for example and also in silver tower with the like zinch stuff there's a lot more ranged adversaries so in terms of how you move through corridors you're a bit less limited in this game perhaps because if you can block up both entrances to a room um you, you maybe have a kind of chance to do a bit of battle of thermopylae stuff and come out on top um but yeah i, I really liked painting all the death stuff is awesome and obviously i've well, Andy and I have both painted a lot of hashtag pink ghosts stuff. <laughs> so um, Gorslav the Gate Gravekeepers re resurrecting zombie uh, has got some pink effect on. I'm actually going to go back on the because um, I realised that the uh, the Corsagi Night Guard, which are the undead ogres, kind of like Cossack Iron Guts uh, as bodyguards to Radicar. They're very cool models um i've done the glowing eyes blue just because they're blue in the picture and i wasn't really paying attention i think i'm going to go back and make them pink oh cool because yeah. I, I just painted them blue because that was what was in the picture and i was painting a lot of stuff that week and i kind of finished and i was like um there are very few magic effects in these models because it's more of your kind of like death rattle style miniatures right so um actually putting some subtle pink magic effects in there will tie it in with your existing death collection yeah, if you go and if you look at the, the skellies top. I've painted, they all have pink eyes. Oh, do they? In the sockets? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, well, there you are then. Um, oh, maybe I'll do that on Watch Captain Halgrim as well. Um, I really like the... What, what interested me about the models in particular is the ones that I was a bit like, 
eh, whatever about in the pictures because there's some I loved immediately, like the Varg Skyr and Halgrim and, and the Ogre. Uh, and obviously goes without saying, Glaurio Van Alten III is the coolest update to the original Warhammer Quest model you could have imagined. But there were some models that I was just like, I'm not really that bothered about those, particularly from the adversaries, right? So I, I still don't love Gorslav the Gate Gravekeeper He's a bit... Very Pan's Labyrinth. It's a very different is. design aesthetic than most of the rest of the models, right? Well, I think it's a very different design aesthetic to all of the other models in the set. I don't dislike the model, but it feels more like something by Rackham. Um, if you don't know what Rackham is, um, go and check out Duncan Rhodes' Instagram because he's found his confrontation box set from 2003 and is going to be painting up some amazing French miniatures from nearly 20 years ago. Um, but yeah, it feels very much like a different type of model i enjoyed painting it though it's a when beautiful it, model when it was finished just and if I you put it, it next to all the other models you're like um it doesn't it doesn't mesh does it and i actually feel similarly about torgilius the chamberlain i haven't painted it yet um but i think i'll enjoy it when i paint it but again he for me doesn't really mesh with everything else whereas the varg skyer is like you've taken That's the flesh eater courts models and then you've sculpted this 10 years 11. later. It's so <laughs> cool. It's better yeah. than the Vargolf ever was. It's much There's nicer. There's so much it. character in it, right? It's lovely. It's really cool. There's I almost own... like a dark innocence to it. Yeah. Oh, it's so true. Um, I kind of really hope that they come in units of three in Soulblight Gravelords and there's like a multi-part kit coming. I'm super hyped to see that on the table. Mm. It's lovely. Um, and the Vrykos as well, like it's quite an AOS-y thing to put like wolf feet on things um, and hooves on things. You know, we've got Kernothi coming in and we know that some Kernothi are just elves, but um, we've also seen plenty with hooves and plenty that are centaurs. So there's a kind of more Greek mythology um, style coming into um, what we would understand. Like these are just going to be... Uh, I haven't got the war scrolls here, but I imagine that they're keyword vampire. They're certainly keyword soul blight, mm. um, which might be the new, you know, keyword vampire. But they've got kind of wolf, wolfish feet. I quite like the realization of bat aesthetic and wolf aesthetic, which is fitting obviously for Ulfen Khan um, and Radikar is Radikar the wolf. Um, but like the Varg Skyer is very clearly that kind of like bestial bat thing, like a Vargolf, but with a wolf's tail. And it just really works for me conceptually um, as a set. And like e even, even the skeletons are awesome. Like, yeah, they're great models. They're a bit kind of hippie, hippie chick. They're all like doing a bit of a dance, but they are good. Yeah, but I mean, you know, you have to make a pose, right? And ultimately, there's there's plenty of stuff on social media that you can, and any pose that anyone's standing in, some hippie chick on Instagram has done. Um, yeah, see, if, if if I had that sentence over it again, I would say, well, you have to strike a pose, not make a pose. <laughs> <laughs> just, to clarify, just to go back on your point, you are, you are, you are right on both counts. The oh. Vargskaya and the Vrykos are death vampire soul blight. Well, there you go. Who knew? I knew. In your yeah. in your head, you you just I mean didn't didn't I have, have the conviction to say it out loud. Well, because I've <laughs> I've read them, but like two weeks ago, and I've I've done a fair amount of other reading since then. Um, so yeah, it's it's a great kit. I'm I'm sad that it's currently not available. I hope that they manage to resolve that. Um, it has to be said that I'm hearing reports that 
there are a lot of copies in stores because people haven't been going into stores. So it's sold out online, but I've seen two or three times this week people just walk into a games workshop and buy one. Um, and local gaming stores might have stock that they haven't shifted because they don't have and, online capacity. And maybe capacity that's what GW and... are doing, right? They're like, we want you to go back to our stores. Yeah. We know the stores have stock, so go and buy it in a store. They just they did, they did I mean, they could that. have said that out loud, but they didn't. But maybe well, they did. They is. did say that out loud, but then but a day later that. they said this is no longer a core part of our range. So it's very murky and very weird, and not yeah. not particularly good comms practice, I don't think. Uh, whatever their end goal is um so yeah i'm i'm super excited to um to play again um so so next steps on it we we are going to play again for sure yeah my goal in doing this that was actually a test run for me in the sense that what i really want to do because we're all still not not fully able to see each other yet and i will probably experiment with this on saturday um is i'm going to get my um webcam out yeah and set it up on my table and try and figure out if there's an angle i can put it at where i can web where we can web like zoom a board yeah and if we get four people to play remotely where everyone has their own board Mm -hmm. and and then one person holds the exploration deck and one person holds the initiative cards and the tracker um and we can do it that way, and everyone owns a bit of the mechanic of the game, and it'll be slightly cumbersome, but I think we'll get, I yeah, think I think we'll get through work. it. For sure. Yeah, so I mean, I guess you and I might end up with a couple of campaigns going on. Um, yeah. And my, my intention as well, because I have a copy, is to get that put together by the time that we're really allowed to a bit more freedom in the country. I've, I've Quite a few of my schoolmates have ended up moving to Newcastle, so when this was first teased as a product, Why? I was like, because it's super cheap and it's really nice it's a great city and they're all northern anyway right so they don't care how massively cold it is um you're from liverpool you should be more hardy um don't tell anyone (laughs) i won't tell you tell your work um (laughs) that's how it works isn't it um so yeah i'm 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 hoping that towards the end of the summer there's a couple of housewarmings that are long overdue um and so being able to play that with the guys that i played like original warhammer quest with and mordheim and stuff with that would be that'd be quite fun and i think most of them not being kind of tabletop gamers or um this style of board gamers these days um although they all read the black library novels and some of them are playing inquisitor and we played a lot of vermintide 2 on the playstation so they're invested in the kind of settings um but don't have the time for tabletop gaming um i think it's going to have been useful for me to have played it through a few times to kind of go in and as you say either gm or at least be the leader more often than not and explain the mechanics um so yeah i and you know who knows in six months time it might be back in stock and we might get some of those planned expansions so i'm i'm very hopeful that it's going to have a happy ending yeah Um, but we'll see we'll see cool um well I've, I've really enjoyed talking about that. It's been so, it's been so nice both playing Curse City and playing Age of Sigmar in person. Yeah, it's such a strange kind of like flashback to the world that was. Um, <laughs> yeah, geez. talking about games you've actually played is almost as good as actually playing them at this point. Yeah, I mean, we were saying the other day it's the bit at tournaments where you go up to somebody and um, say, "How was your game?" so that you can tell them how yours was uh, over lunch. 
that that may be how you think about it and that's quoting somebody else i think on this podcast but if not that sounds like i've made it up i think that's what alex said the other week um yeah so yeah i mean playing games in person is great obviously only do that within the law um if you have an outside barn because who doesn't um then that's a good place to have some games um and yeah uh we're going to be hopefully down at rule zero a bit more um i'm actually playing blood bowl this week um having painted up my lizardman team so i'm going to play blood bowl outside next to a canal so i'm definitely taking a dice tray with me um because are you associating with tom loin again i, thought we I will be associating with tom loin and his mustache <laughs> i'm really looking forward to it um so yeah the games in person i did, I did enjoy world, like right? when we, when we had that beer two weeks ago when everything first freed up we weren't playing but we were just sitting outside i did enjoy like how many how many how many do you reckon i did in in three hours 10 15 ginger jokes it was it was a lot and um i feel like without without tom online currently and without alex here to defend gingers in general um <laughs> Yeah. Um, no, it's been good, right? And um, I'm, I'm super glad for Rule Zero that they've been open, uh, been able to reopen. Um, it must be pretty stressful, actually, to be in the yeah. service industry and be forced to reopen. So as much as it's nice to legally be able to make some money, it's, it must be a huge amount of pressure for people. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I did say that we would try and get there every week um, when I'm down in London in the office, um, and we didn't do it this week, so we need to go. Well, I'm go- I'm going tomorrow, and I I did. You, you can be my proxy. <laughs> yeah, and I I I did buy five hundred quid's worth of vampire Jesus. accounts from them this week for a commission, and I say vampire accounts very decidedly because uh, I've also got to order some square MDF bases um, to make a ninth age army out of the new Soulblight models, etc. Um, so you know. There are people if who play need, If you need some 20 mil bases, you could snap them off my old Skaven for me. <laughs> That's true. I think, I mean, the cost of an MDF 20 mil base is about three pence. So in terms of <laughs> the stress of um, potentially damaging models that you're going to want to rebase and the time it will take as opposed to gluing things to new models, I might, I might pass on that, but thank you for the yeah, offer. That's, that's legit. <laughs> um, great. Um, so we'll be back um, in a couple of weeks again. Um, hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, just to remind people that we have a discount with um, Exit Twenty Three Games on their website. So Ooh. if you have you not listened to the last episode, Andy, <laughs> fuck's sakes! You know the amount of time I take to record and edit all of this. Uh, and and this I listened is... to the bit you told me to listen to, which was the interesting bit where Donald was going on about game design, but. Oh, and fair I enough. And I, I probably, and I I probably didn't mention job. that until later on, to be fair. Um, yeah, I mean, having a job is a thing, apparently. I mean, during a pandemic, no one else is doing any work, but there we are. Um, yeah, so if you want 10% discount on Exit 23 games, so alternative Blood Bowl miniatures, um, seemingly dice. I have some Exit 23 dice that rolled really well against Andy. Um, double six charges, six mortal wounds. You know, if you want to roll sixes, get some dice from Exit 23 games. Uh, and they also sell the Turbo Dork paints, which I am uh, using uh, rather a lot, particularly the metallics. 
uh, on the Lord of the Rings commission I'm doing at the moment. So if you want 10% off Exit 23 games, uh, put in a code. It's ANGEL2021, and the A in ANGEL is capitalized, um, and 2021 is numeric. Don't spell out 2021, although maybe Chris will still give you the discount. I imagine not, because it's probably all I, I really admire your faith in humanity and going to the nth degree and making that instruction. Adam. Yeah, I mean, you know, some of our listeners will have gone back to the pub this week, right? um so excitingly i'm not quite sure if it's going to be the next episode or not so i won't promise this but um uh matt and i have been talking to darren watson about his uh fan battle tome that he's making at the moment for um halflings which is called the nomad spelt like the gnomes uh nomad feast masters which is the most aos name that games workshop have not made i absolutely love it um so we've been playtesting uh the battle tome on tts a little bit um in the last couple of weeks um i'm hoping to get darren and matt on to talk about um that and that'll probably be a whole episode because he's written the law we've played some games and it's a fan-made battle tome so we're going to talk to him about how he approached it in open so that might not be next and it's, episode and it's but it'll be coming soon. masters is it uh yeah rather than feast lords all right i would i, I, I master I, hobbit the, right i yeah that's fair i i had in my head feast raiders i don't because because you said oh, it's like, like 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 beast raiders right it's like beast claw raiders but it's yeah. feast feast raiders you could you yeah. could call them feast claw raiders if you wanted yeah uh well, maybe not call them feast, feast raiders. like nomad yeah. feast raiders yeah so they're, yeah, yeah, like they're, they're crashing the party you know? ah yeah that could be the hashtag um yeah so we're going to be talking about that soon hopefully um i reckon i've just ruined the format of darren's front cover art yes quite possibly <laughs> um and i'm actually going to be putting together a couple of the units for war scroll photos which i'm quite looking forward to um because i already have some halflings for my Warcry warband so it's uh yeah Fun times. I mean, Raider, Raider, and Masters has got the Master has got the same number of letters in it, right? So he could just. Yeah. It's not happening. You, you, you were wrong. It's. Um, I mean, I might also be wrong. I don't have it in front of me, so that is from memory. Which, let's be honest, is pretty addled at this point of the pandemic. I haven't been required to memorize stuff professionally for a long time. Um, great. All right. We will see you next time. Thanks very much, Andy. Sweet. No, it's a pleasure.